Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com. Hello and welcome to this episode of Physical Attraction. This week we'll be talking about SoftBank's Blurry Vision Part 4. So in the last few episodes we talked about how Uber and WeWork have both massively inflated the valuation of their core business by claiming to be tech disruptors and branding themselves as technology companies when that's not actually the core of what they do. And we talked about how this has allowed them to extract a great deal of funding from SoftBank's Vision Fund, which seems all too happy to invest in anything that has branded itself as a tech company. This is certainly the model for two of SoftBank's biggest investments, but actually there's some similar and different nonsense in a lot of their smaller bets as well. When it comes to these smaller bets, you start to get a feel for the type of companies that the Vision Fund typically likes to invest in. There's a class of companies that might not actually be terrible investments, which essentially consist of Masayoshi Son attempting to repeat his major success. By investing in Alibaba as a sort of China-based competitor to Amazon, which was founded a couple of years after Amazon first went public, there's essentially an acknowledgement that Amazon's business model has been wildly successful, and that imitating it, in a different jurisdiction, may prove to be just as successful. This is what I think is behind some of the SoftBank bets on companies like Rappi, which wants to do the rapid delivery of consumer products in South America, or Flipkart that wants to be the Amazon of India, essentially. About $2.5 billion from SoftBank has gone into Flipkart, and another billion has gone into Rappi. Now, you can certainly criticise each of these businesses, They've had complaints over the years about poor customer service and fraudsters on their platforms, which are not that dissimilar to the complaints that some early internet startups had. But actually, the basic idea, to replicate what Son did with Alibaba, has probably led to some of the better Vision Fund's investments. Flipkart, for example, after that initial investment, was bought up by Walmart for $17 billion. I don't know whether SoftBank made any money on that deal, but you would suspect they would. And anyway, by SoftBank standards, this is a roaring success because it hasn't seen the spectacular collapse of some of the other companies in the Vision Fund. If all SoftBank was doing was investing in lots of companies like that, which aim to bring proven business models to new growing geographical markets like India or Latin America, then okay, you can't exactly call it a glorious vision of the far-flung future, but it might at least be a reasonable thing for venture capital to do. Because if one of them did manage to become the next Alibaba, the investments would ultimately be justified in the same way. Unfortunately though, some of the other investments made by SoftBank either fall into the trap of overvaluing a company that does something basic, like WeWork or Uber, 
because it has the trappings and brandings of a tech company, or they're just plain daft. So we're going to give you some examples of each of these types. Take WAG, for example. WAG is a company that wanted to do for dog walking what Uber did for ride sharing. Again, dog walkers are hired as independent contractors, and what WAG does is make an app that can connect you to someone nearby who will walk your dog for you. Naturally, the issues that the company had are almost a carbon copy of that that Uber had. In the push to go to more and more locations, they've burned through a lot of money without becoming profitable, they've been undercutting existing services to try and get that monopoly on the dog walking industry, and that's caused them to burn through even more cash. Because the core technology of the company is so easy to imitate, and there's not actually that much innovation there, they are in a race to the bottom with competitors like the Rover app, which can do exactly the same thing and create this geographical platform for dog walkers to sign up on and uh, connect them with individuals who want their dogs to be walked. Consumers and dog walkers alike can both, again, switch between the apps and leverage whichever one is burning the most cash to attract their businesses. And Again, much like Uber and WeWork, the margin on this dog walking business is already razor thin, and it's not clear that you can undercut the competition in terms of prices, pay a sufficient salary to attract dog walkers, and generate enough spare cash to pay for a middleman company that was, after all, valued at nearly a billion dollars after SoftBank injected 300 million into it. This company is, of course, like the others, trying to expand endlessly into other markets and also at a lost lead. And of course, because we're talking about people's beloved pets, Anything bad that happens, dogs running away or being abused, is extremely negative PR for the company. It's a little hard to try and counteract that with the lots of marketing that relies on influencers on Instagram and Twitter, celebrities, etc. to advertise how they're using WAG, because the bad news stories surrounding the company will go viral much more easily. WAG actually only asked for $75 million in investment, but SoftBank gave them $300 million because apparently they're pathologically addicted to inflating a tech startup bubble for ideas that are likely to never turn a profit. It's not going to surprise you to hear that WAG has since laid off most of its employees and SoftBank has sold their stake in the company back to WAG at a pretty massive loss. We don't know exactly how big that loss was, but it seems certain that SoftBank essentially gave WAG its $75 million and much more to entirely burn through. And ultimately, I think the reason why I mention this as another example of SoftBank doing this is that it really shouldn't have been this easy for you to just open the dictionary at a random page and say, okay, I'm going to develop an app that's going to be the uber of on-demand hairdressing or massages or hiring musicians or whatever, and then go to SoftBank and walk away with $500 million from Masayoshi Son. Yet for the last five years, pre-COVID, this has not only been a perfectly workable scheme, but probably one of the most reliable ways to make money anywhere. And the Viner brothers, who founded the WAG app, moved on from the company in 2018 to found a company called Wheels, which did the exact same thing, but with electric bikes and earned $100 million in venture capital investing. And it directly competes with a service offered by Uber to do something similar in cornering this electric bike market. And I'm sure you'll be shocked to learn that the last story I could find about wheels from February 2020 was that they were laying off staff in an attempt to become profitable. One aspect of WAG's story in particular that interests me is how a lot of this money actually goes to further inflate the hold of the existing tech giants on money and power. A lot of the software for WAG is run on Amazon Web Services. A lot of their advertising and marketing money goes straight into the advertising black boxes of Google and Facebook. And they also rent office space, although I can't actually confirm whether or not it was from WeWork. We've already discussed how a lot of the advertising on Google and Facebook may be flawed and not providing a great deal of value. This was in our Patreon bonus episode on the attention merchants. 
So if online advertising is also an overinflated bubble at the moment, then it is a bubble that the tech startup bubble has helped to inflate. And SoftBank is inflating bubbles that are inflating their own bubbles, which is a little bit concerning. Another startup that saw an injection of cash from SoftBank was Zoom Pizza. This is a particularly wild tale of excess. Remember when we first introduced Mossier Chusson and his PowerPoint presentation to the SoftBank board? The tales of humans coexisting with robots that would serve us and bring us great happiness, perhaps eventually replacing us entirely. And the Vision Fund is supposed to achieve this, well, this vision of robot-human coexistence. What you actually get, though, because of how far off this vision is from reality, and how much fundamental research needs to be done before you can actually get there, is stuff like Zoom Pizza. This was a startup that was going to use a robot, automated van, which would automatically cook your pizza en route to your house. Again, the whole thing is quite reminiscent of Boston Dynamics in that it makes for a great viral video, but it's not entirely clear how you're going to be able to use this to compete with the hundreds of other businesses that deliver pizza and are already established. What makes it superior and what justifies the massive outlay of cash to get it going? Isn't it just a gimmick? Bloomberg had the inside story on how Zoom Pizza managed to get $375 million from SoftBank's Vision Fund. Naturally, a huge part of it comes down to those endless Silicon Valley tropes that we see all the time. There was a charismatic founder who claimed to be on a mission to change the world. You can imagine the pitch meeting too, because at this stage it's very formulaic. You identify some industry that already exists. You point out that it's worth X billion dollars a year. You project, without much explanation or detailed strategy, how with enough investment your app could account for Y percent of those billion dollars in a few years' time. And thus, of course, the startup will be a huge disruptive success by leveraging the power of technology or something. This is how Bloomberg put it. If a founder seems brash enough, charismatic enough, reminiscent enough of a younger son, some of SoftBank's rigorous business model tests appear to melt away. In the fall of 2018, SoftBank delivered its Vision Fund cash to Zoom Pizza. After one conversation with Son, the founder choked up, relaying details to a confidant, saying, Massa says I'm going to change the world. It remains unclear to any rational person how, even if the business worked perfectly and made money, having a pizza that's cooked en route to your house by a robot is going to change the world. Imagine the number of research projects you could fund with $375 million. Think of the problems that need solving in the world, from diseases, medical therapeutics and diagnostics, vaccines, climate change, poverty, responding to natural disasters, and so forth. Theranos was a scam, but at least their dream of cheap, easy medical diagnostics was actually worth achieving. How does anyone really benefit from automated pizza delivery? Even if you want to have your pizza cooked by robots, since you're going to have to assemble the ingredients from some central location at some point anyway, and you're going to have to park the vans at some central location anyway. How is it any cheaper to have a hundred vans with robotic ovens in them than a single central robot that cooks all of the pizzas? Not that Zoom could even do automated pizza delivery. In 2018, IEEE Spectrum reviewed the company with pizzas only a robot could love, and they criticised the taste, lengthy wait time and the price. This is from a Business Insider article about Zoom. Business Insider toured Zoom's production area in Mountain View in August 2018, prior to SoftBank's investment. At the time, robots were essentially mechanical arms that pressed mounds of dough, squirt and spread sauce, and lifted pizzas in and out of the oven in a fraction of time it would take human workers to do the same. 
It's not clear how many of those robots were in existence, and how that figure has changed in the years since, but a Zoom spokesperson told Business Insider that its Mountain View production facility was capable of churning out 370 pizzas in an hour. Behind the orchestrated photo ops, the real picture was not as pretty. A former employee told Business Insider that the robots on which Zoom, and the founder by extension, had built the entire business were inherently flawed, and could not clear food safety inspections, because they produced metal shavings which could end up in finished pizzas. Business Insider confirmed the shavings were present in the food preparation area in a series of photos provided by the former employee. Quote, They had hired many people who had no idea what kind of equipment was supposed to be used in food, and many engineers were not food hardware engineers, the former employee said. With the robotics division struggling to live up to expectations, the founder Garden came up with a new solution, delivery trucks that could bake the pizzas while in transit so as to cut delivery times and improve the finished product showing up at customers' doors. The baked-on-the-way trucks, as they were called, made appearances at corporate campuses and on Jim Cramer's Mad Money TV show on CNBC. But at least five former employees cited issues with the startup's famous trucks. The main truck, nicknamed Martha, cost the startup over a million dollars, but lacked the technology to adequately bake pizzas, sources said. Photos of the truck's interiors provided to Business Insider show broken glass, insufficient refrigeration, and pizza boxes stacked on the floor. Delivery and catering crews often resorted to cooking pizzas at the startup's Mountain View warehouse and delivering orders in personal cars, sources said. But the quality assurance team was personally directed by Garden to keep all 11 trucks in service, quote, until something major happened. Another former employee recounted a disastrous catering experience in which the team had to resort to cooking the pizzas in a toaster oven for over 100 people when the ovens in two separate trucks didn't work. It was all really reckless, one of the former employees said. This employee left Zoom after voicing concerns with the machinery, specifically the metal shavings and malfunctioning blade, to Garden, and threatened to alert the FTC to misleading advertising, since Zoom was still marketing the pizzas as being baked on the way. So as we can see from all this, what Zoom Pizza was is essentially a company that was hilariously terrible at making pizzas disguised as a tech company. Just like WeWork was a company that was actually pretty bad at renting out office space compared to its competitors, also disguised as a tech company. The robots added absolutely no efficiency. The company delivered fewer pizzas and at a worse rate than an ordinary restaurant would, plus they had metal shavings in them. The promises that the company was making were always misleading, and even its gimmick, cooking pizzas on the go in a million dollar souped up van, did not work. And yet the valuations for this company were simply insane. SoftBank's initial investment round of $375 million gave the company a nominal valuation of around $2 billion, even as it was losing around $50 million a year. This in spite of the fact that the entire pizza delivery industry in America is only worth $10 billion. And at this stage, Zoom basically just had a single van that did not even actually work at cooking pizzas. A restaurant with a few robots that could half-heartedly assemble pizzas with metal shavings in them, and a whole host of other failed projects. This isn't to say that there won't ever be any kind of robotics cooking or robot cooking or automated cooking projects that will work. It isn't to say that even something like Zoom might not eventually work. But you have to question the logic of giving them $400 million when their technology was so far behind the eight ball. And you have to question the faith in robotics to be able to do this kind of practical thing at a decent margin, given where the technology is today. It's not ready yet. In November 2019, after all of these problems should have been increasingly clear to any investor, there were reports that SoftBank was actually considering ploughing even more money into Zoom at an even higher valuation. Perhaps mercifully, 
Whatever these negotiations were appear to have fallen through, and Zoom Pizza was forced to pivot in January 2020. This meant laying off more than half of its workforce and changing the business plan from pizza delivery to providing packaging and automated delivery services to other pizza companies. The lasting legacy of Zoom Pizza, then, the single invention that the company has made that it now feels might someday be profitable, is a round pizza box instead of a square one. They say that it's fully compostable. According to SoftBank, this company was once worth around $2 billion. So I think it's worth saying to people who, like me some years ago to be fair, were only casually following the technology industry. You often see tech startups with ideas like this one coming up with some viral gee whiz video. They get some nice news coverage and the promise that soon this business might be coming to a town near you. And then maybe three or four years later you might wonder, say, whatever happened to that company? Whatever happened to that viral video? And the reality with all of this is, of course, 95% of the time, the company has folded or pivoted to something else because it massively overpromised with technology that wasn't ready, or a business model that simply never made sense, even if the technology did work. Somehow, though, at least until COVID-19, which I'm hoping puts a cap on some of this irrational exuberance, everyone just moved on with their lives and got taken in by the next viral startup video. Or at least investors at SoftBank did. I don't want to go into too much depth about some of SoftBank's other investments in this episode, but I think it's worth listing a few briefly. Some of them are good companies with good technology, but there's others that have issues that go beyond being a bad idea. For example, SenseTime is a Chinese AI startup that focuses on facial recognition technology. We've talked before on this show, in the context of Microsoft Showice, how data availability and data protection means that algorithms can be developed much more quickly and more easily with access to very, very large data sets from the Chinese government. Uh, this was the case for the Showice chatbot, I think, and it's certainly the case for SenseTime. But SenseTime has now been blacklisted in the US for its likely uses in surveillance systems to persecute the Muslim Uyghur minority in China. There was a billion dollars that was invested in Vue. Vue is not a bad idea at all. It's a startup that's going for windows that can tint automatically. This is a good idea when it comes to energy efficiency, but they have been hawking the same product since 2007, and it's not entirely clear how close they are to this being a... a a fruitful endeavour as well. Now, there's a company that I also want to talk about a little, which is called Catera. So Catera is a construction company that sold itself as a tech company, and they have said that they are going to revolutionise the $12 trillion construction industry using technology and automation. Now, some of the employees at the company have said that they don't see it as a tech company, they just see it as a property developer on steroids, according to one of the few who hadn't signed an NDA and spoke to the website Cretech. One of the things that raised eyebrows when WeWork went public was that the founder, Adam Neumann, owned several of the properties that WeWork itself was renting. So in other words, the founder of the business was essentially, via this arrangement, pumping SoftBank's investment VC money directly into his own pockets. And Katera has some similarly interesting financial arrangements. One of its co-founders owns a big private equity firm that was Katera's sole customer in its early years and provided it with a dozen projects to work on, which is all rather cosy when you can make your business look better by employing yourself. Cretech's article goes on to describe how, once again, Katera's claims to be a tech company are somewhat flimsy at best. Katera has said its mission is to deliver construction projects that are better, faster and cheaper. Through tech, the company says, it can streamline the antiquated processes that plague the construction industry. Such claims are a hallmark of a generation of startups that aim to disrupt their respective industries by replacing Byzantine systems with tech, 
Katera says it has applied for almost 60 patents, the bulk of which have been filed in the past 18 months. A handful of those have been approved, though they relate to electrical systems and mass timber production. But like other firms in the SoftBank portfolio, Katera has faced questions about whether its tech-enabled business model is deserving of the firm's massive valuation. Its decision to close a major factory in Phoenix suggests a failed attempt to achieve this goal. When it opened in 2017 as the company's first facility, its primary purpose was to manufacture prefabricated components, including wall and floor panels, that could be shipped to construction projects. A series of high-tech machines would assemble the components, which were tracked with an RFID chip system. But soon enough, problems surfaced with some materials made in Phoenix. At its first project in Spokane, Washington, known as Riverhouse, wall panels made of timber arrived at the job site warped and unusable, according to two people familiar with the matter. One person involved in the project said that this was because the timber, sourced from the wet climate of Washington, was trucked to Phoenix, where it sat in the searing heat, and became warped. No one understood from the beginning why we had the Phoenix factory, said one former employee, end quote. That factory in Phoenix, which manufactured these prefabricated components, has since shut down. So the innovation that turns Katera into a tech company is essentially using wood and prefabricating your components in your own factory. This is not actually uncommon for several different companies to do, having this kind of vertically integrated supply chain. So while Katera has not had the same sort of disastrous fall that other SoftBank portfolio companies have seen, it's still as if tech and finance people have spun the wheel of fortune and decided to disrupt construction. And you wonder how well comparatively a traditional construction company would be doing if they'd had the same levels of funding that SoftBank gave Katera and nearly a billion dollars. There's Compass, which is a real estate brokerage that again poses as a tech company. So again, what do we actually have here? A couple of apps, really. One that lets you search for homes. In the app, buyers and sellers can search for standard things like neighbourhood, number of bedrooms, price range, and so on. But they can also look at more advanced metrics such as year-over-year analysis of median price per square foot, days on the market, and negotiability. And there's another arm of the Compass business that employs real estate agents as independent contractors rather than direct employees of Compass. Once again, as you read through the literature provided by these companies, it is really, really difficult to understand what the actual tech innovation is here. Is it a search engine for homes? But we know there are lots of other companies that provide those services already. Is it an app to hook up real estate agents with home buyers? You can say machine learning and data-driven all you want, but if there's no particular reason to actually use this over the other services that do the same thing, you have to question whether there's any, any secret source here at all, or if it's just posing as a tech startup to drive up the valuation of the company, without any clear idea about how it wants to use any of the technologies that are vaguely alluded to or any indication of how it can get the explosive growth that other tech companies have seen. SoftBank, of course, pumped in $400 million, and the company overall was valued at $6.4 billion. This is what an article in Barron's had to say about Compass, quote, Some former Compass employees say that the company's technology falls short of being a disruptive force in the industry and providing a significant advantage to agents. Former Compass employees and real estate professionals with knowledge of the company's operations told Barron's that Compass often struggles to get its own employees to use its technology. A Compass spokesman declined to answer questions about the company's tech platform or the productivity of its agents. As a private company, Compass isn't required to disclose financials, and it declined any requests to make financial data available. Sadly, regardless of how good the real estate business might be in ordinary times, it's something that is going to be badly impacted by COVID-19. 
The final company I want to mention, just for how bizarre it was, was Brandless. Brandless was a retail company that wanted to sell products in a minimalist packaging. The spin here is that by paying for branded products, you're paying extra for the people who design the packaging, create the brand, etc. Instead, they would cut out what they called the brand tax and pass the savings on to you. Quoting from the company's own website, quote, Brandless provides everyday products that are better for you, better for your family, and better for the world, while eliminating the brand tax, unnecessary, hidden costs you pay with other brands. End quote. Now you might very well think that creating a line of distinctive products with their own minimalist packaging, called Brandless, that claim to be better than other brands of product, actually involves making a brand. And you would be right, because like any other brand, they trademark their packaging, which was co-designed with a New York ad agency, and they refer to themselves as a brand in their own internal literature. It's literally just that their brand is claiming not to have a brand. In 2019, people, okay, mostly people involved in investing in this, but so, they were claiming that this company was going to compete with Amazon. And you might question how a Silicon Valley startup is really going to be able to sell basically value food any cheaper than a gigantic conglomerate like Walmart, Whole Foods or Amazon. And you'd be right. After taking $100 million of SoftBank money, the startup, which only existed for three years, shut down at the start of 2020. Is this really the Vision Fund dream? $100 million for a company that just sells food with plain packaging? Is this the kind of innovation that is going to disrupt and change the world? Is all you need to do to spout lots of tech buzzwords to part these investors from their money while burning through eye-watering sums of cash to get your bad business idea off the ground? Apparently, yes. So much then for the wacky arm of SoftBank Vision Fund's terrible investments. The companies we've dealt with in this episode were mostly either just plain bad ideas, or else companies that are claiming to have some kind of techno-magic USP that they don't really have to justify their bloated valuations that come along with identifying as a tech startup and not as what you actually are, just some other kind of enterprise, be it good or bad. But these fripperies are not really the most dangerous things that the SoftBank Vision Fund has been invested in. Because actually part of what SoftBank has been propping up has been some financial technology or fintech companies that actually might be genuinely dangerous, or in one case definitely fraudulent. I think, bearing in mind that I am not an economist, that some of what these companies have been doing is setting up the conditions for a new financial crisis, much like the one we saw in 2008-9. By posing as technology companies, they have avoided some of the regulations that might have otherwise been applied to banks and other lenders, and one of these companies has already been involved in what appears to be a multi-billion dollar fraud. All that, and more, next time on SoftBank's Blurry Vision. Thank you for listening to this episode of Physical Attraction. You can find us on the web at physicspodcast.com. There you'll find the contact form, any comments, questions, concerns, things you like about the show, things you don't like, things you'd like us to cover in the future, people you'd like us to try and snag for interview. That's a place to go. I try and respond to all of the emails that I get there. You can follow us on Twitter at PhysicsPod. We have a Facebook page, Physical Attraction. I also manage the Science Podcasts group on Facebook, so if you want some more science podcasts, that's a good place to go to get a hold of them. You can donate to the show via the PayPal or the Patreon, which is patreon.com slash physicalattraction, where you'll find access to loads and loads of bonus episodes that we've released in the past. Um, you only pay per bonus episode, so actually if you sign on straight away, the first thing you'll get is bonus episodes for free, and then you will pay subsequently if new bonus episodes are released. That's the model that we have for Patreon at the moment. And really, you should subscribe to Patreons for all of your favourite podcasts if you can afford it, not just me. I think it's important that 
you know, we're, we're getting all of this free content and I love podcasts. I get so many podcasts that I listen to that I'd like to give back to the people who are creating them because believe me, I know how much effort people put in to do it. And uh, it, it's, it's a good thing to do to support independent creators. Of course, you can always help us in other ways by telling people you know to listen to the show, people who might be interested, and reviewing us on your podcast platform of choice. But the most important thing you should do, as ever, is take care.